G'day and welcome to this week's, well, I guess this millennium's, I don't know, this something's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and we're back. Yes, with Avengers Endgame. And um, God, that's too many puns. I, um, I'm joined uh, by Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? Uh, I'm great. And Jason Diamond, how are you? I am fantastic. So now we've been on hiatus and we've been incredibly busy. And in a second, we're going to get into one of the, I guess, if not the years, then the decades, possibly, uh, you know, bust out hits of uh, all time, Avengers Endgame. But before we do, I just thought I'd quickly uh, explain why we've been on hiatus. We've been incredibly busy with doing stuff. Jason, you've been super busy uh, doing things, but I think one of them was you were over in, uh, in Vegas, weren't you, at NAB with uh, Frame.io and stuff? I was in Vegas with Frame.io, with Frame.io briefly, and uh, we are uh, growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, we so had a just to explain what Frame.io is for those oh, that, that people that don't know. Frame.io and, uh, is a online cloud collaboration platform with uh, integrations across all the major NLEs. And actually the big announcement at NAB was a insanely deep integration with Resolve that Blackmagic wrote as part of our API launch, partner launch. So they they took our API and SDKs and they wrote their own integration, which is literally in the code base of Resolve. It's not a plugin, it's not an app, it's literally in the in the code base, which is super cool. We've been working on that for quite a long time. Yeah, Frame.io has become really a, a force to be reckoned with and congratulations on that. Oh, thanks, man. And with your brother, you've also been doing VR stuff, right? Like, in fact, yeah. out of country, is that right? Uh, well, we've, uh, our company, Supersphere VR, with two other partners, we've been doing, we do all of the live stream concerts for Oculus, for the Venues platform. So we've wow. been, we've been over the last year and a half, like, I have half a million miles on Delta, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, over the last couple months, we have been doing everything from Sundance to we did a hundred bands in four days from South by Southwest uh, Festival, which was crazy. Um, and then uh, we did Jazz Fest. We streamed F8, the Facebook conference, uh, which was the first time that conference has been streamed in VR. Uh, and then most recently at Jazz Fest in New Orleans uh, last week, we did uh, we launched an Ambisonic series where we're doing uh, I think first or second order uh, Ambisonic mixing with a big audio truck and a big hundred input desk, and we did everybody from the Revivalist to Preservation Hall and Galactic Jupiter and Oakwest really super fun. But I think the craziest thing we've done was. With less than a week prep, uh, we just live streamed four cameras in 360 from the Estadio Azteca in Mexico City last night for the Liga Finals. Um, to we streamed it to a private Facebook page for Murata. It was a cross between Murata and Whedon and Kennedy for Bud Light, and it was an activation in Vegas for uh, for fans that wanted to see the game that that couldn't make it and I guess they were contest winners but that was a pretty technical highly technical uh, challenge because there's not a lot of equipment available in in uh, Mexico City uh, on the higher 4k plus level and the 
we didn't have enough time to bring our racks with us and all our standard stuff. So we had to wow. like re- reinvent the wheel on the fly. Uh, and I'm super proud of our team and uh, both us that stayed here in the States and, and all our team that we sent to Mexico City that we like pulled it off without a hitch, satellite and the whole shebang. So pretty excited about that. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm impressed by that. I'm also impressed that you managed to get out of bed and join us. Um, <laughs> and Matt, you've been hanging out with some incredibly good visual effects uh, people uh, with Amazon. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, this this really uh, super cool guy uh, who works for Amazon, uh, Max Sanchez. Uh, he listens to this show, <laughs> and um, he uh, was looking for somebody to moderate a talk at Amazon Mars, which is um, an invite only. It's machine learning, automation, robotics, and space. It's a once a year conference uh, with about two hundred attendees, hosted by. Um, Jeff Bezos, and it's in uh, Palm Springs at the this really swanky uh, resort hotel. And um, I got invited to come and be on stage at one of the the evening talks. There were three evening talks. Uh, one of them was Jonathan Nolan talking about um, Westworld, and then uh, another one was Adam Savage interviewing the guys who are the writers for um, The Expanse. And then the third one was was me talking to uh, uh, the the stars of the evening, which were Dennis Murin and John Knoll. Um, and I got to sit up on stage and talk to them kind of about their um, careers and about some of the sort of most interesting problem-solving kind of projects that they had worked on over the course of their careers. And then I talked to them for 30 minutes, and then they had a surprise special guest that I knew about um, long beforehand, but um, Mark Hamill was there. And so I talked to Mark Hamill on stage for another 30 minutes. Um, and it was awesome. They did it in the um, Palm Springs uh, Airport Museum. So we were flanked on either side of the stage. They had a big screen there. And on either side of the stage, there was like a F-105 Starfighter jet. And um, I can't remember what the other plane was, but it was it was really an amazing uh, week. And um like Ron Howard was there and uh, Darren Aronofsky was there. And uh, uh, I sat down at breakfast one morning and uh, this guy came up and said, hey, can I join you? And I was like, oh, sure, have a seat. And we start talking and he says, oh, yeah, I teach uh, at Columbia University. And he's like, where do you teach? And I'm like, oh, I'm at Virginia Commonwealth University. And and um, I said, what do you do? And he's like, well, I teach a, a class in um, EVA. And I was like, EVA? And he's like, yeah, like extravehicular activity. He's like, I, I was an astronaut at NASA. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, have, I said, have you been into space? And he's like, he said, yeah. He's like, I, um, I uh, did two spacewalks to fix the Hubble telescope. And it was this guy, Mike Massimino. Um, oh, wow. It was just so crazy. The story Musgrave, so another cool. astronaut was there. And um, it was just nonstop, like, interesting people the the woman who's the the research lead for um the parker solar probe um gave a presentation there was all kinds of stuff on um all this great robotics and uh, machine learning tech and i mean it was a mind-blowing week like i came back uh from that event and uh back to uh you know, my, my regular gig here in Richmond. And I was definitely uh, walking on, uh, on clouds for a while. It was, it was easy. I've been to so many different conferences and stuff over the years, but this was without a doubt, um, the most amazing 
conference I've ever attended. It was it was incredible. It was I felt like I was uh, really lucky to have the opportunity to go. I mean, I was definitely surrounded by some of the most brilliant uh, people I think I've ever uh, I've ever met. It was an amazing week, and it was the entertainment people was sort of you know the sideshow, and it was really the scientists and the researchers and technologists and stuff that were really the headliners of the event. But it was an, just amazing. But this uh, isn't an ev- an annual event, is it? Because there's another Mars one coming up in June, isn't it? Yeah, the one in June is in Vegas, and it's the first one that's open to the public. Um, right. This the this was the fourth Mars conference um, that I attended. That is like a an invitation only thing, right. and um and it's a closed like sort of fixed size. But this one in um, coming up in Vegas is uh, is open to the public, and I don't know what it'll be like. But if it's if it's anything like the event in Palm Springs. Um, it could be pretty amazing. I mean, I was totally blown away by the by the whole event, and and to see Dennis and John, who I probably hadn't seen either one of them uh, or talked to them at any great length in maybe God seventeen or eighteen years. So it was it was really really fun to reconnect with them, and um, we cut together some material that they wanted to show. And the best thing was that when they showed up, they said, "Well, can we just get with the editors and cut the stuff together?" And they went into full supervisor mode and wanted to go sort of behind the behind the curtain and cut the stuff together. And it was it was really uh, just a lot of fun across the board. Yeah, the one that's coming up in June is. Um couple of thousand dollars entry and I think Robert Downey Jr. is one of the um, the speakers but as you say there are a lot of people there that are um, on the ticket. It's, it's, it seems to me like the conference is a bit like what TED was once but TED has gone a bit more like um, uh, save the planet and there's nothing wrong with that and of course this is remaining fairly focused on uh, deep learning, machine learning and that kind of stuff and uh, robotics. Does that sound like... Yeah, and there was, I think that's pretty accurate and there were some amazing... Um, like robotic, uh, robotics research uh, teams that were there that were sharing and showing a lot of their research and work. And uh, there was a thing there called Sail Drone, and the Sail Drone project um, is an autonomous drone sailboat um, that's uh, you know carbon neutral. It's powered by solar power, and um, they've deployed it uh, around the oceans of the world, and it can sort of self-navigate using. Um, data from weather satellites and stuff and sort of point in the right direction to go wherever they want it to go. But it can monitor um, temperatures, ocean currents, as well as um, the migration of uh, large schools of both uh, fish and mammals underwater and do like population counts and all kinds of crazy stuff. And they, they were doing a demo of some of the research they were doing in one of these morning session talks. And they were talking about eventually deploying um, I think 1,400 uh, in, I think it was 400 by 400 square um, parts of the world's oceans. And once they're all online, uh, some of the potential of the ability to map what's happening in the oceans um, seemed, uh, it seemed really, really exciting. Like it had a lot of potential. And that was just one presentation. I mean, there were so many things that were just, uh, just astounding, like really, really incredible stuff. Yeah, no, they're. Um, I think they were circumnavigating Antarctica as well. Like it's a really amazing project that sailed, and I love it to death. Obviously, being a sailor myself. Anyway, we want to get back to the VFX show as much as I would happily talk to you guys about this for hours and hours. Um, I'm just back from Germany where I was at FMX, but I will post that stuff on FX Guide rather than delaying getting into the discussion of Avengers Endgame, which is 
obviously broken just about every box office record and is right up there as the uh, the sort of example of uh, the most successful franchise of all time, um, hitting, what, the 22nd, I believe, uh, film in the series of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. And so I guess before we start on the VFX, let's quickly do a run through what we thought of the actual story. It was described by somebody cleverer than me as being the the brains versus the brawn, comparing this with Infinity War. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Was it uh, was it a good story? And, and do you think that it was the kind of emotional version of the uh, versus the action version of the previous one? Um, yeah, I mean, I I loved it. I I couldn't. I mean, it's three hours long. Obviously, spoiler alert from here on in for everybody. But I mean, you know, halfway through the movie, I looked at my cell phone randomly. I'm like how is they going to cram another hour and a half into this movie? And they do it. And it's, you know, there's a couple moments of like kind of, you know, comic book exposition, whatever. But overall, this the, the storyline was was pretty tight. I love the self-referential nature of them, you know, referencing movies and 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 pop culture that the audience is familiar with, you know, in, in the real world. Uh, it sort of brings it together. And I liked the... Just the the humor that they were able to maintain throughout the whole thing with, without making it a comedy, like it wasn't Shazam, uh, uh, which I liked. But um, I don't know. It's the, these movies. The Russos continue to impress me because the amount of um, storyline and character tone that they have to manage across this whole gigantic, the entire cinematic universe is incredibly impressive. Uh, but of course, as always, the Hulk is my favorite. <laughs> well, we'll come to Smart Hulk in a sec. Um, yeah. But uh, Matt, what did you think of the story? Did, did it surprise you that we saw the death of Thanos so quickly uh, in the first act or the first part of the first act? Um, yeah, a little bit, I suppose. I mean, I think overall, you know, the, the film, I think, is more than anything else. I, I, I confess to having a little bit of Marvel fatigue uh, but that maybe is just me showing my age uh, more than anything else. But uh, but I do think as a as a thing, like in the world of cinema, the fact that Marvel Studios uh, and Kevin Feige and all these people involved in getting this uh, Victoria Alonso and all the people involved in kind of getting this thing going and keeping it going, I think this movie as a culmination of all of these other films, I don't know that there's ever been anything quite like it in, in cinema. Um, it's really, really amazing. Um, I, it's, it's something that, um, I think, uh, clearly, uh, they can be enormously proud of in the sense that like it, here it is now, uh, on the brink of surpassing, uh, Avatar, I think is the highest grossing movie, uh, of all time. I'm, it looks like that's probably going to happen. Um, and I, I don't know, I think, uh, you know, the story for something that was three hours long, I, I thought about, you know, maybe I should, uh, you know, wear a, a stadium pal or something at the uh, movie, but I was <laughs> what is able it with to, the Americans uh, with like being obsessed of whether or not you could hold it for three hours. Like <laughs> when did that become a thing? It's, you know, like, uh, on know. the other side of the equator, you Does have that mean to you get up more. every night, like every three hours during the night? Like, hello. It's, okay. it's the, it's the Coriolis effect. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> it's not the same, but, okay. um, 
No, I, it was one of those things where I, I wasn't sure how, you know, can I sit through a three hour movie? Not for that reason, but just in general, like just sitting for that long, I find somewhat challenging. But I, Okay, can I just stop you never... there for a second? I just came back from FMX. Flying to Germany was like 34 <laughs> hours of oh my multiple God. plane trips. Coming home was at least 23 hours because I was going through Zurich. Yeah. Like not being able to sit for three hours is not my problem. Now, so you watched Endgame end eight times? <laughs> well, I think that's what was cool, though, is that it, it like, you could, it was entertaining all the way through. Like, there was never yeah. a, a moment where I thought, like, oh, this is really getting, they're, they're dragging this out. Like, I was thoroughly entertained from beginning to end, and it never really lagged for me. So what do we think about the time jumping, time uh, travel aspects of it? Is that a cop-out? Have they then kind of spoiled us for the rest of uh, the next set of movies because whenever something gets in trouble, you just go back in time? I mean... I mean, I, I love I, time travel films myself, but yeah, what do we think? I, I did like how they, they, they were basically like, oh, Back to the Future, bullshit. You know, like all these movies were... <laughs> like they literally taught, said, you know, Hot Tub Time Machine, you know, like all those... I like that they did that. And even at a certain point, Paul Rudd's like, wait, you're telling me that Back to the Future is bullshit? You know, like... <laughs> But they basically did something similar, right? Because you're like, well, how can there be two nebulas and how can there be, you know, blah, blah, blah. Which, of course, means that they branch time. They just branched off the one that they like, even though they show the the black branch go away or whatever. Anyway, um, it made me th- – the, the movie in general, in a, in a good way, made me think of – and this is the time travel thing. Th- their use of time travel made me think of what, at least in the States, they used to do with like – sitcoms that where the actors needed a break and they had to do a clip show and they would like have a bunch of people talking and then be like, remember that time that Christmas? And then they would just cut to an already (laughs) cut scene from the Christmas episode the year before or whatever. And I think thematically they used that to be able to tie everything together and allow all the characters to have their closures by going to their moment uh, like, you know, Tony gets to see his father, but also achieve another goal. Cap gets to do something, you know, and obviously he achieves his goal. And um, uh, Paul Rudd achieves his goal, bringing Wasp back. And, you know, there's, there's a, a, everyone gets their, gets their mission accomplished through time travel of a sort. Thor sees his mother, which allows him to, to do his thing. And I, it was, I thought they used it smartly, you know, time travel movies in general can be a little daunting. If you, you can paint yourself into a corner, uh, especially in like a comic book movie where you feel like you have the ability, you could feel like you had the ability to do whatever you want because it's a comic book movie. And so who can I cares? just say that that was best done in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure when they had the time travel, I think it was in the second one. And they were yeah. like, you know, literally like I would be caught right now had I not gone back in time and left a gun right under this desk. Had yeah. I not, but I knew you were going to do that. Had I took the bullets out of it. Ah, yes, yeah. but I knew you were going to do that. So I went back in time and put another bullet set over here. That yeah. Was, yeah. And, and then you do, you get yourself screwed. But I, um, I do agree. It's a great way to get, uh, yeah. to get those closures. Um, I mean, sure, it's a little pat, but, you know, you, you get to go back to Vormir and you get to go back to um, the other one uh, uh, with the M. Uh, the one where where you see you get to see um, Space Lord do his thing, and it like you know, oh right, Guardians one, oh right. I mean, like it's a bit yep. of a franchise, you know, sort of like rah rah, like oh yeah, the franchise is great. Look at all this 
great memories we had on top of, oh, we're also actually doing something. Um, well, let's, let's, let's jump to the visual effects because we don't want to run out of time and we're already 20 yeah. minutes in the show. So um, of the sequences, let's discuss uh, in no particular order. We're going to we'll look at the, the time visual effects. Obviously, there's some like, de-aging stuff there. I'm going to come back to that. But I just want there to – there are sort of some big digital characters in here and that's something that I love. So let's start with that. And we, we mentioned earlier Hulk. So in this film, we have Smart Hulk as in – the combined version of Hulk. And I said in a recent post that um, the development of Hulk has been like a litmus test for digital humans and characters in films because if we go back over the Hulks uh, and the various companies that have done them, Hulk has continued to evolve but also reflect the nature of visual effects and the the level of fidelity of emotional performance you can get from these characters. Um, From what, 2003, I think was the um, Ang Lee one, was that right? I think Mm -hmm. about then. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've had uh, Hulk in multiple films, not least of which is Avengers, the first one. Um, but then, of course, uh, you've also got um, what happened in um, Ragnarok and, and more recently here. Hulk himself has been done by multiple companies, but, uh, but ILM did uh, Smart Hulk in uh, this one. They also did Hulk in Ragnarok. So they had those sort of uh, two. And, of course, the original one in the original New York Gets Attacked Avengers and so there's three Hulks right there. What, what did we think of this new version of Hulk? And how do you think the actual visual effects are looking in terms of uh, an engaging performance that doesn't take you out of the film? I mean, Matt, do you like Hulk? I think you were the ones that mentioned him earlier. Uh, we, I mean, I think he looks great in this. Like, I think the the fusion of, you know, Mark Ruffalo, who, you know, if you, in Infinity War, that's all you get is is Ruffalo, right? And to see uh, him sort of the hybrid, to see his face, to hear his voice, to see the nuances of his, if you're familiar with his, um, you know, some of his parts that he's played, you know, to see him sort of just being essentially like Mark, Mark Ruffalo to be essentially <laughs> a banner, but in that kind of, bloated, you know, swollen Hulk state. Um, I thought it was really successful. And I thought that the, the movements uh, on the face overall, I thought were pretty good. Like the, the subtle movements It some of the time it even looked like it looked, it literally looked like, uh, well, I mean, obviously it looked like Mark Ruffalo, but there were times where it really looked like him, like the if it was performance capture or if it was some combination of performance capture and, and animation, facial animation, like sometimes it, it looked so good that it was it was almost uncanny, I thought. I thought it was a really strong um, effect. And cause, because Is that uncanny in a good way or uncanny in a bad way? I thought it was in. I thought it was uncanny in a good way. I mean, right. Sorry, the, I just think you were referencing sense. the uncanny valley. Yeah, yeah. No, good point. Um, but no, I thought it, I thought it was really, really impressive and and uh, and a totally different direction. I did not know that that was going to be what they were going to do. I hadn't read anything about oh, it. Oh yeah, I mean, seen anything about it. And when I saw him in that state, I was like, oh, that's awesome! Like it was just really cool, and it made it really fun to watch. Like the thing where he. Wants to take a he wants to yeah. do a selfie <laughs> with the kids that come by and stuff and I I don't know it was really good the I mean again I think 
I think as much as you can highlight what you just highlighted, Matt, I think also the right, they wrote for it really well. Like they wrote yeah. for Smart Hulk really cleanly and smartly, like even to the point, again, self-referential to the Hulk character in general, which plays into then the emotional performance of the motion capture or animation or whatever they used mm-hmm. in combination. So like when they go back to... Uh, where Mike was saying the original Avengers attack on New York and you see the Hulk bashing around and then smart Hulk is there and they're like, all right, go do your thing. And he's like, <laughs> and he like reluctantly rips his shirt and his pants and he goes like, Oh, ah, oh rawr, I'm angry. You know, and you're like that, just that um, the ability to pull off that sort of sarcasm in a, animated character relating to another version of himself that you're familiar with, I thought was totally. a super smart writing, but it informs the animation because your brain isn't expecting mm-hmm. an emotion from that. And then if you thought, if you can't deliver that, like if you can't deliver that emotion based on what the writing is promising, like you're, again, you're painting yourself into a really difficult corner. And I thought uh, just before I let you chime in there, Matt, my only mm-hmm thought about Hulk throughout the movie was his scale seems to change slightly. Very yeah, slightly. I thought that too. And and I I didn't know if they were like, oh, if the thought process was, well, he's mixed with banner, so he's a little smaller because he has a little more human sort of mixture like does that make like i was thinking about like the mechanics of the merger of hulk during the movie. <laughs> um uh but that was my only that was my only like observation. I'm not saying it's a negative because it doesn't really play into anything specifically. It was just sort of like he went to your point when he's sitting at the table doing the selfie, like he seemed a little smaller than he would be. Yeah. Normally. It it made me think too though that like when we talked about um uh the previous film, um, Infinity War, and we were talking about Thon- Thanos yeah. and how um uh, Brolin, you know, when they first uh, did the the motion capture, performance capture stuff, and he sort of was going over the top. And then when he saw the performance, it was like kind of corny. And then when he was just looking at the stuff in between the takes where he was just being himself, uh, that that performance capture was so much more naturalistic. And so they kind of toned it down and he was kind of more just like, he was just kind of Brolin being Brolin, right. you know, yeah. a little bit. And it and it made me think that with this version of Smart Hulk that they kind of were playing off of what they had learned there, it seemed like to me, and that, you know, uh, Ruffalo, he never really was over the top. The only, like you're saying too, I think the only time in the script that he was over the top was when, you know, they sort of ask him to be over the top so he fits in, right? So he's right. like, oh, it seems, and he even says it seems a little like overkill or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but I thought that, that really that helped because- capture the performance. I've been talking to uh, both ILM and uh, Disney Studio or Disney Research Studios in Zurich. In fact, I was visiting them after FMX in Germany. So uh, Disney um, Research Studio in Zurich are the guys that made the Medusa rig that ILM uses and actually made the new tech that allowed them to do this new Smart Hulk, um, which I get to one second. But yes, the ILM team um, actually did uh, this new really interesting smart Hulk. And the first test of that they actually did is hand animation. And they hand animated smart Hulk to sort of see using um, a clip that um, 
that the actor had done when speaking as the actor, talking about his role in the film Spotlight. So Mark Ruffalo is just talking about Spotlight. They (laughs) take that clip of him just talking normally and make Smart Hulk as a test. This is like obviously never going to appear in any movie. And then they they tried to see, well, like does that work? Like does it work having a really relaxed Mark Ruffalo as Hulk? They learn a lot from that and that test was in fact shown to Mark and that informed Mark uh, and according to ILM, that was in second hand, of course, but he was like, well, great. So then he could be Banner, as it were. He could play Banner when playing Banner as Hulk and that that would come through. And so you do see effectively a in the smart Hulk, Banner doing a, uh, sorry, Mark Ruffalo doing a, a, a Banner character. Like obviously that's still acting for him, but that acting at a very natural level that they knew would work when translated into um, into Smart Hulk, which I thought was really interesting. And so I, it, just to clarify, the Thanos test you were talking about was actually done by Digital Domain, who okay. did Thanos in the first one and Thanos in the new one, as in Endgame. Um, but in the case of this new one, the, the Endgame, that Thanos was split between Weta and Digital Domain. So the third act, Thanos, is Weta, digital, and the other Thanos is uh, is digital domain again. And digital domain, of course, doing um, terrific work in the in the, uh, in the the first film as well. But I'm just going to go back now, if I could, to just I think some really interesting stuff about Hulk is that Hulk actually, unlike many films, was uh, transitioning through technology as ILM was making him. You guys said he wasn't in the first film. He actually was briefly, if you remember, uh, on the spaceship at the beginning of Infinity War when he gets hurtled back to Earth. Oh, yeah, yep. Um, which wasn't done by ILM. So ILM was taking they – they just didn't do that sequence. I think it was Framestore that did that Hulk. But anyway, he wasn't acting a lot in that sequence. If you remember, he just attacks yeah. Thanos and then gets knocked out. So so they'd done a lot of work with um, – with Hulk back on Ragnarok. And so they'd completely rebuilt him for that. And they then um, rebuilt him again effectively for this film. So that's the real transition we're seeing between Ragnarok and uh, and this film in terms of Hulk's tech. And they initially went to a thing called um, X-Weave, which is, um, maybe I'll back up one step, the Medusa rig, and for that matter, Light Stage, has been used to help define these characters through ILM for several films and many films uh, use that character pipeline to build the character from um, scanning the actor. But what's different now is that ILM is adopting something that I first, I think we saw in um, a digital domain, this trend to I'm going to make a digital version of the actor before I make the retargeted version. So there's a whole performance no one's ever going to see of Mark Ruffalo rendered as Mark Ruffalo but in digital form. And once you've got the tick on that, you then retarget that to, to, uh, to Hulk. And so mm. what you've effectively got is this like, do I think that this digital Mark Ruffalo is emotionally you know, conveying the same stuff as the original actor? Yeah, I do. Okay, I've got that. Now I can then retarget it to Hulk. Um, so that's part of it. But the other part of it is in the process of like then getting the, all the way through, they had this thing called X-Weave, which is a, an expression tool. Um, and they also, if you remember, ILM's pipeline has had this thing called SnapSolve. We covered it around uh, Warcraft. It's a way of really tightening up um, the animation in the end character so that they really match uh, what the actor did. The trouble with SnapSolve is while it's really good and allowed them to do an enormous amount of character work in Warcraft, 
doesn't actually give the animators as much flexibility uh, as they otherwise had. Enter again the Medusa team. So the Medusa team in Zurich, um, which is obviously part of the Disney family, came through with a whole new piece of tech which they transitioned through to during this film. Um, and there's a new sort of a pipeline tool called, well, it depends how you pronounce it. Um, I've heard people call it uh, Anima, but it's A-N-Y-M-A, um, Anima. I mean, uh, but anyway, that tool allows the, um, uh, the team to produce these incredibly new, uh, very realistic um, links. And we've got a story up on FX Guide about this. It relates actually to a SIDGRAPH paper they put out about a year or two ago, which you would never have guessed has got anything to do with Hulk. <laughs> it's just like mm. nothing to do with it. But in fact, it has these kind of micro patch uh, details. And the best way to think of it is we've all seen actors with dots on their face. And if you think about it, that's not many data points on a face. Yeah. So what these guys were trying to do, and obviously uh, the team led by, um, uh, by Marcus actually um, in uh, Marcus Gross in Zurich, um, and I should say these guys all just got an, uh, a SciTech Oscar for this work. But what they tried to do is like, well, how can I get all the detail between the dots effectively? And so in this new system, they don't even need the dots. But what they're trying to get is that fidelity of all the detail that might exist on a face between the various dots you might stick on a, an actor's face. Hmm. So in this case, Thanos uh, was completely on set at the same time was under completely different tech for different companies and had 128 dots on his face. Mark Ruffalo could, in fact, perform and be captured and not need um, those dots. They had them because they, um, they sort of just started shooting them before they worked out what was going on. But, in fact, under this tech, you could have an actor on set not with the dots and getting incredibly high fidelity. Now, the Weta team and the digital domain teams have all gone off in completely different directions and done their own stuff to improve their pipes. But ILM's gone in a, in a different direction and it's just astounding what they're doing. There's still some stuff in there that's um, kind of cool and hopefully you guys will read the, um, the detailed story in FX Guide. But uh, it's a, a major advance in the ILM face pipeline uh, that they've done to, uh, to pull this through. And I, I think it works well. I think it works really well in producing um, a lot of subtlety. Mike, could you, I don't know if you could, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, could, do you think you could like just even in, just anecdotal layman's terms, could you describe like in your own words, maybe like what, like, or, or if, if you're talking to these guys, if they describe like what, what are some of the subtle things that are happening sort of between those dots? Like, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So, so there's lots of things that happen. Um, uh, let me give you some really obvious examples of the sort of subtleties that you're looking for when you're trying to get these face things. So an eyelid closes, yeah? The eyes continue to move under the eyelids and so you've got a corneal bulge that happens when that's happening. Like the way the eyelids um, move when they're open, you'd think is over a ball, but in fact it's not. The area under the eye, the eyeball isn't a round ball. And so you'll get, yeah. for example, little subtle movements of the skin that move left and right when in fact you'd think they'd move up and down a tiny amount. So if I was looking at you and kind of slightly quizzical, I'd start to narrow my eyes ever so slightly. Like I'm talking really small amounts. And what you'd expect is just, oh, okay, if I was an animator, I'd just move the bottom of the eyelid up a fraction. But actually it moves up and to the left. Um, and so, you know, you're not going to have like the fidelity of dots of like 10 dots, very, very fine dots just around the bottom sure. of an eyelid, right? Um, there's also a lot of stuff that happens with the skin in terms of 
uh, which is research back to light stage, with as it as it moves, it has a stretching that is not uniform. So you'll get like it's stretching the pores more vertically or horizontally, and you'll get different specular highlights uh, due to the non sure. um, sort of even way that that moves. And then there's just a ton of stuff around um, the way that the um, that the skin is responding given that individual. Because the trouble is, <laughs> it's kind of funny. We know there are muscles under the skin, but we have no way of really easily telling what your muscles under the skin look like compared to mine. And the muscles under the skin of my face are attached to the side of my head. They're not attached like near my nose or my cheek. You know, you think that they are, but they're not. They're these kind of ribbons that run around the front of your face from the back. Sure. And so we don't know whether your ribbons are bigger or smaller than mine. And so some base assumptions there are like kind of really awkward. So you have to get up this tremendous amount of subtlety um, to be able to pass that through. And, and I could go on, like it gets super geeky and God knows oh, yeah, I love like that changes stuff. in the rigidity of like the collagen, like as people mm-hmm. age and stuff like that, I would think too, right? Oh yeah, it's, absolutely. It's really fascinating. Like it's, it seems like it's, it, it loops back into conversations I know we've had on this show like years ago now where we were talking about, I think you even asked the question, Mike, like, well, what is that thing that makes it uncanny, you know, un- yeah. the uncanny valley? And I think you posed that question to us at one point a long time ago and we were all speculating and, and the sort of gag was that like, well, that's okay. So that, that's a reasonable assumption. And then it was like, oh, that's a reasonable assumption. And oh, okay, that's interesting that you would think that. And it's like, it, there was no, there wasn't a definitive answer, but it sounds like this is really starting to approach um, a, a level of fidelity in terms of what it is that they're able to try to, you know, uh, replicate or capture or understand that is of an order of magnitude much higher than where we were even five or six years ago. Yeah, like Tabo and Derek and the guys at the Disney research team, in the paper they published at SIDGRAPH, so obviously this isn't in the film, they got um, a little fine air hose and blew air on the cheek of an actor and his cheek, you know, like if you were in a wind tunnel, does that yep. wobbly, mm-hmm. yeah? Okay, so they're able to get that without any dots on the face um, with this technique. I mean, it's just wow. absurdly good, yeah. Um, really but interestingly, cool. for all of that, which we, we're talking about with uh, Mark Ruffalo, You've got DD doing a whole different thing with Thanos where they're using deep learning um, and uh, their masquerade to basically vastly improve uh, Thanos, not, not for, sorry, the second film, but for these two films combined because they were done with the same tech from DD. So they're using deep learning there. And then you have uh, Weta with a whole, you know, a different approach again, right? Because they're, they're not using either of these two approaches. Um, so... It's not that they're deliberately competing in an arms race sense of being nasty to each other because they're all sharing the same data and, you know, agreeing on what was going to be done on set. But here you've got three teams of exceptionally good researchers that are trying to solve this problem. And, uh, and as we discussed in the FX Guide article, we've got three whole different approaches. And sometimes, in the case of Thanos, those two approaches on the same darn character that need to look the same. But I think Weta's work in the end of this film, when Thanos is about to be um, snapped out of existence, shows you how far they've come. Because I think you'd agree, if we can shift now from Hulk to Thanos, that you get incredibly good performance from Thanos without any lines of dialogue right before he gets wiped out from existence. Do you remember the shot I'm talking about? He's sitting on his, on his, with his hand on his knee. Mm-hmm. And don't you think that's good? Like I thought that was just terrific um, animation and... Uh, 
terrific, yeah. you know, performance. Um, yeah, absolutely. Agreed. But the and the the sort of mania of that whole thing is that entire ending battle is bananas. Like yes. It's just mine. I'm, I'm, I remember sitting there with my two, I saw it in New Orleans at like 10 in the morning in IMAX 2D. And I'm sitting there with two of my friends and just like thinking about the previs and the storyboarding and like, like, how do you even like focus to, to design a battle sequence? that battle sequence is more complicated than some entire movies, right? And it's just like you're telling a visual story that is encapsulating uh, 22 films and most most specifically the film that came before it where all of a sudden all these characters are back and you have to inform the audience that the characters are back and have them fight and have them do their thing and have, oh, by the way, Captain Marvel's here. She's going to, you know, save the day also. Uh, I, it was mind-boggling. Uh, Can I tell you a funny story about that? Yeah. Just in terms of the uh, previews. So, uh, Matt Atkin is the VFX supervisor from Weta. And so, Weta did that third act, right? And so, Matt um, was very early on taken into confidence when even most of the actors didn't know how it finished and was shown a cut by the editor of the previs, or rather the post viz, you know how it works these days. The pre viz mm-hmm. turns into post viz, yeah. So Matt's team had to come up with most of that last act of the uh, the battle, and not come to some of the complexity of that. So Matt sees this with the editor, and then of course uh, sees the editor again at the premiere in Los Angeles. And Matt was like, "Wow, you know that third act, like it really stayed almost the same as you you know did in the edit, as a compliment to the editor." And the editor, as a compliment to Matt, was it looked nothing like that. And of course, in Matt's point of view, he was talking about the cuts and the timing and the pacing. Right. And in the, right. In the editor's point of view, he was talking about the quality of the visuals. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, by the way, the only bit that the previous team didn't, I mean, maybe there's other bits, but the one that I know of that they didn't previous is that moment of um, Sisters of Avengers, uh, right? Yeah. You know, the, the women of uh, Marvel get together shot, which. It was kind of funny. It was an, a late addition and Matt yeah. was telling me um, that his team just got to put that together, which they thought was kind of a cool shot. And they, were, they had a lot of fun putting that together. You know yeah, what I mean? No, I they mean, assemble the women? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, mm-hmm. it was, there was so many great story beats inside that, that final, uh, final battle. Like I can't even remember. I'm trying to remember specific shots, but there's so many. Well, the one that well, I I'd, the one. I'd like your comment on is the one where the portals open up and you see oh, the multiple worlds. Oh, that was worlds. amazing. That was that, so yeah. cool. That, for me, is the environment shot of the film. Oh, yeah. Well, because they have that big high wide where you can like... Yep, high wide. Where you can see everything yep. and through and in parallax. Yep. Yeah. Was yep. like, yeah. And that's digital like, matte cool. painting on those environments. They they made those up at Weta. Right. Um, like, think about that. Just... Unbelievable. I thought the other really big shot in that sequence that was, I mean, it's kind of the ubiquitous one that you felt like they had to include. It's it's the one that is the big Marvel gatefold spread from the 1970s oh, yeah. or 1980s where it's like the side shot in the yeah. background and he's giant man or whatever. And yeah, it's like the two armies rushing towards each other mm-hmm. in this giant battle. And it's, and it's all, you know, you've got... Um, 
Tessa Thompson on her. Uh, yeah, the Valkyries, Valkyries were coming Pegasus in. Yeah. And, and uh, it's it's it looks like a like a painting, you know, like a classical kind of you know Renaissance painting of some big battle or something. Well, it was like the but Ragnarok this, stills, you know, those high frame rate Ragnarok totally frames. Yeah, and I but and it was like that was the shot you knew that like it felt like that was the the thing they were building to do like over all the movies. Like if if you ever you know were a fan of comics as a kid, it was one of those ones where I was like, oh, it's cool they finally got to do that big shot. You know? Yeah. I have to say that uh, the the I should add by the way um, that when I said the third act was all done by Weta the uh, Captain Marvel destroying the ships you know when mm-hmm. she sort of flies through that was an ILM uh, sequence and I was going to say I thought that was what you're going to reference because when they uh, she smashes through the ships you have these amazing destruction sequences and then they crash yeah. into the you know that sets up the wall of water that um, mm-hmm. that uh, which was I think Scanline that did the water. Because um, there's obviously a bunch of companies that worked on this, and, and I guess we should really quickly give a shout out to those because we're not going to get to talk about everybody's stuff because it's just impossible. But we've already mentioned ILM, Digital Domain, and Scanline and Wetter, CineSite, Dneg, Rise, Third Floor was doing the um, the previews, Legacy, the Suits, and I think Cantina did the um, the the end closing sequences, and Lola did some of the de aging. Though I don't think they did all the de-aging in this one. But yeah, there was a ton of companies. Because I mean, just a ton of visual effects, right? Like, as somebody said to me, the thing that we should just be, they actually said on this podcast, the thing we should actually be saying is, thank you, Marvel, for giving this many jobs to this many visual (laughs) effects artists. Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, um, in the the wake of Harry Potter finishing, this like took up the slack for worldwide, uh, you know, um, generation of jobs. I mean, wow. When I think too, you know, this this film uh, in particular too, I think because it's so long and because it has, it's got so many uh, really huge sequences in it, like pretty much you know nonstop almost. I think um, the consistent quality of the mm-hmm. work is something over over that many studios too is something that should really be applauded. Like it's, I I I was looking for things that. Um, you know, in a three-hour movie, I thought, well, okay, I can I can look for stuff that you know I really dig, and I can definitely keep my eyes peeled for stuff that isn't so hot. And I didn't really leave the theater with like a list of things that really stuck out, um, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I know you could argue that if you spend three hundred and fifty-six million dollars making something, that you get pretty good QC. <laughs> but I totally agree with you, right? Like the consistency that the visual effects supervisors brought to the film in terms of having as I say, like Thanos looking the same when produced by Digital Domain that's got, you know, incredible new tech with uh, machine learning and Weta that's got their own new tech that's completely different and it all looks the same, uh, be that, you know. It's just so much heavy uh, lifting. Like it's impressive yeah. that like it comes together as, as I, not even just as well as it does. Like, I mean, I think it's at such a high bar, you know. It's, by the yeah, way, one I mean, of the things I didn't mention before I thought was really great from a visual effects artist point of view was the time that the ILM artists had going back and redoing Hulk from the other Avengers film. Do you know what I mean? Because they effectively did. Oh, that's cool. Right. They did old Hulk, (laughs) smart Hulk. And, uh, you know, the chance to go back and revisit that stuff, even though it was under the hood, all the rigging and all that kind of stuff was different. They still had to make it look like the Hulk we remembered from that film. Right. Um, that must have been like a, a real joy to do. I know we had like Pharma Thanos and New Thanos and 
six year younger Thanos, but notwithstanding right. the damage stuff, I don't think that was quite the same as revisiting a film from when was that uh, Avengers done? When was that one made? Just like which the first one? The the first the Avengers Joss, that Joss Whedon. Yeah, because um, you have to look it up. It had to be like five years 11? ago, probably right or longer. Uh, yeah, to check. <laughs> Who's the fastest typing in IMDb? Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> So, to your point of revisiting things using the time travel sort of... 2012. <laughs> okay, there you go, seven years. Good job. Um, That's a long time in tech. I thought, yeah, just like you said, Mike, about how they got to go back and sort of revisit Hulk, even though they had to keep him within a yep. a boundary, but they got to, you know, make him better or whatever they could do currently. Um, whoever wrote... You know, as they go, I know, uh, you know, the guys who wrote the script, you still have directors and, and, and Marvel people, other people, you know, I'm sure weighing in on, you know, which planets they went back to or which times or whatever. And I thought that going back to Vormir was a really good choice. I mean, you had to go where the stone was, I get it, but, but the Red Skull stuff still looked phenomenal, that ghosty black um, fabric, the way it waves yes. and like, but, but there's like a gauziness to it. You can see through it because of its gauziness and not just because it's, he's a ghost or transparent or whatever. And the way, with the way the mm-hmm. kind of smoke comes off, but also like the key shot, which you get both with Thanos and Hawkeye is after they get the stone and they wake up in that pool of water with this purpley orange sunset and the stars reflecting yeah. in the water, like, 100% if you were the director, you'd be like, we're redoing that shot from Infinity oh, War because it's so good. So that so on that score, there's another shot just like that that you haven't seen. I haven't seen it either, right? So like I totally agree with you. That's great. But I don't know if you're going to guess what I'm talking about, Matt, but do you remember in the last one when Thanos um, snaps his fingers and goes to this kind of weird place and meets his daughter? Oh, yeah. right. So mm-hmm. they did that again with Robert Downey Jr. and his daughter, but his daughter now older, and he kind of apologizes to her about not being around for her growing up. And apparently oh, wow. test audiences just couldn't work out what the frig was going on, right? Because like, who's huh. this girl? Yeah. Who's he talking to? What's going on? What happened back on the, you know, because in the first film when he did it and he suddenly goes to that surreal thing, mm-hmm. the whole film, I, it worked for me, right? I just sort of made, yeah. I don't know if it made sense, but it like, yeah. you know, it definitely was kind of interesting. It was a young Gamora, and it would make, yeah. Yeah, and it would make total sense to have the same thing happen for for um, the mirror Tony yeah. Stark, and he sees his daughter that he's obviously she survived, but he's not going to be there as her father. But of course, as we didn't identify with her, apparently the filmmakers said they just well, the audiences were like lost. I mean, I think I think that's you know that's the problem with test audiences. I'm not saying it would have worked. I haven't seen it, and none of us have seen it in context. But but to be fair. Um, it does tip the hat to the fact that he doesn't survive. Although, you know, people know that Iron Man's going to die because everyone knows his contract's up or like, you know, whatever nonsense, you know, internet buzz people talk about, um, you know, just to figure out what's going to happen. I, was, I didn't know he was going to die. Oh, I did. <laughs> Him and Cap, I knew were, were, were done after this movie. So, so I was just waiting to see how they did it. But, um, 
But, but, but it is, uh, it could have been a really big emotional beat, right? Because, you know, talking to your daughter that you're never going to see grow up, but in a sense, he's done it, it for her benefit. It. Yeah. But he could it have not done it all. It a little bit. With her. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is you're also mirroring the moment in the beginning of the film when Ant-Man sees his daughter grown, grown up already. Like, yes, is it true. too similar of a beat? I don't know. Um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. Um, but I thought that was a good. I thought that was a good beat. By the way, him seeing yeah. his daughter growing up. No, it was great because um, it, it showed. Because yeah. you didn't know, you didn't because of Ant Man and Wasp is when he got lost and not in Infinity War. You needed that moment to be like, oh right, time has elapsed for him. Well, but but see, f- yeah, but I think the scriptwriters were going to do this whole play, right? Because you had Hawkeye and his daughter or kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and Ant Man and his kids and and Robert and but the thing about Robert's kids was that if he did it wrong, they'd never exist. And if he'd yeah. done nothing, he could have lived happily with them. Right, right. Um, so the one guy that doesn't get to live with his kids is the guy that could have lived with his kids had he not mm-hmm. stepped up. Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. I thought. And then, of course, it's all re- replicated with Thanos and his quote daughter. Yeah, and yeah. it's I don't know. It's funny. It's like that kind of is a theme throughout the whole movie that doesn't come through as strongly maybe as I think it could have on, on the, on the page. I don't know what you think. Right. Yeah. Maybe that was the four hour version. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What did we think about the, um, the solution that they came up with uh, and the D and the aging, I should say that they came up with for uh, cap. I thought, I mean, is that, I thought that was an older actor. Is that, is that Chris Evans like aged with makeup and visual effects? I literally don't know. What about you, Matt? What I, I you thought it, I thought it was Chris Evans. So. I think so too. Yeah, uh, I was like, did they yeah, just hire Chris and, Evans' father? Which obviously is, <laughs> uh, you know, possible. But it was hard to tell. I mean, it was definitely one of those ones where when you first saw him, I was like, oh, okay, like I get it, like that's him, and he's older. And I, I initially thought it was just another actor, but then as watching his eyes yeah. and uh, hearing the voice and stuff, although it could have been dubbed, I suppose, too. But it just, it, it looked like, oh, that, I think that's him, you know? Like, it felt like it was the same actor. Yeah. I mean, Somewhere well there's done. a visual effects artist listening to this going, score! Yeah. I mean, I imagine they would have done some practical, you know, latex applications or something. No, I think, it's, I, I think it's digital. And I think I think why well, it's digital is that... Wouldn't, you wouldn't do both? Like, well, just no, to because get... when they aged... When they aged uh, Peggy, they deliberately do it, nothing on her face at Lola when they um, aged right. her. I'll try and find out if I can. And if I find out in time, I'll put it in the show notes. But if I was Marvel and I've had so much success with aging and de-aging characters that I'd see that one. I mean, after Skinny Steve, right? I'd be like, yeah, yeah we're not going to do this with makeup. We're going to do, do you know, this. Did they, did they also do Skinny uh, Stark at the beginning when he had been in space and he's that he's rescued and he comes... I don't know who like did he that. Was so, he was so wasn't gaunt. He so gaunt. Like, yeah, and no, I totally yeah. agree with you. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah, and and of course the flip side, which is fat, um, fat Chris. Thor. Yeah, fat mm. Thor. How do we feel about that? <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I mean, that's that is like one of the greatest story beats ever. Like, I feel like that was they just like took it out of you know, like they had the guys from Flight of the Concords come in and or Taika write that little storyline for them. Although you get to see, uh, what's his name? I forget his name, the rock guy when they're in his house. He's like, hey, did you get Ford. on the Wi-Fi? Yeah. Did you get on the yeah. Wi-Fi? You want some some uh, some beers in the fridge? You know, like. I've got a I good thought, shot on on uh, FX Guide of him, the guy in a suit, like doing yeah. that. Um, 
Mocap suit. Um, um, I, th- I, I thought, thought it was whole... really good, but I've got to say, I was really at the edge. I like any more, and Thor was going to yeah. become silly for me. Yeah, no, like, it was literally. Yeah, it was like, it was. Uh, it definitely rode the line. Yeah, but he's. I think Chris Chris Hemsworth has such a good comedic timing that he can he's he can hilarious. pull it off. He's yeah. so funny, but he wasn't anything like that in the and pre Ragnarok. It's just. Amazing. And so do we think he's yeah. going to appear in um, in uh, Guardians, Guardians 3. of the Galaxy yeah. 3? because it's going to be the hope, as, so. as Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a great joke. As Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what he so said. He goes, that. That's what he said. Oh, in, was uh, that in the film, was it? I in the that. movie. Yeah. Yeah, he goes, all right, yeah, we're the As Guardians of the Galaxy. And he like looks at him like Chris uh, Pratt looks at him like, come on, dude. <laughs> I've got to say that was one of my all-time favorite scenes in the uh, in the first uh, of these two films with the um, you you shall not take my why are you making your voice lower it's like I'm not yeah. you do it again yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like an uh, a rocket, baby with rocket a pirate. in this was great too I thought yeah. he was really had a much bigger uh, part he was on screen more and I thought that uh, I mean he's been consistently good throughout oh, all yeah. the movies that he's been and again, in and again done by he, multiple companies uh, Framestore yeah. ILM I loved him in the back of the ute going out to see Thor, you know, when they're like bobbing along. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, that was just in the car scraping the ground with um, Hulk yep. sitting in the back of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rocket really is um, probably, I mean, look, it's a silly thing to say in one sense, but like because of the dialogue, but Groot, I feel like, just hasn't had much of an arc. Yeah. You know? but, but Rocket has just become yeah. a rock star. He's fantastic. I mean, looks. I mean, the, like Matt said, like the animation and the ah, oh, yeah, everything is so consistently good that you're just like excited when you see him on screen. Like you're there's, I've never seen through the whatever four movies he's been in uh, any like negatives. Like there's been no shots where you're like, mm, I don't know, yeah. I think that with the the voice performance yeah. the, is so good, yeah. and then the way that he's integrated into the sort of the the story, he's sort of this cantankerous kind of sassy uh, in a sar- sardonic way kind of character, and then you've got um, uh, Chris Hemsworth uh, constantly calling him Rabbit. You know, mm-hmm. I think that it makes for like a funny joke, but at the same time, too, there's also this kind of it's weird. There's like this heart and kind of emotion to the character too that like, I don't know. It, it always I think kind the of- shading on the hair is really good. Like the fur shading and the lighting mm-hmm. on the fur, like in every shot that he's in, the integration of the CG from a lighting point of view, it's just so phenomenally good that you have to shake yourself and realize that there's just empty air there and they've just put a <laughs> yeah. CG comp on top of a plate. Like there is just nothing there and then you put this amazing piece of lit fur in there. Like the TDs that solve that and the, mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously a bunch of different renderers, uh, Renderman, V-Ray and stuff being used and Arnold. But honestly, the ability of those renderers in the hands of good TDs, and I don't for a second assume that that just happens without the quality of the artistry, but let's, you know, give those good renderers to good TDs and good lighting people in, let's face it, a lot of time it's in um, Katana these days. Yeah. And, oh my God, they just knock it out of the park. That, yeah. that, do- that doesn't you know that that fur used to look like it was kind of cilla, like a cylinder and the cylinder would look almost like it was a kind of a I don't know um just didn't look like fur it just didn't have yeah. the the light properties of fur it looked like almost wiry or kind of 
Thistly, and it was just mm-hmm. not like that at all. Anyway, yeah. What did we think of the DH Michael Douglas? Since we all, I mean, most people have a pretty good understanding of what Michael Douglas looked like young, much like the young. That was Kurt on the Russell. edge for me. If I had yeah, to me say, too. I didn't, that was probably my least favorite de aging I've seen for a while. Yeah. I think it was partially, it was the hair too. Like the hair was so. Uh, it was so poofy when he started. He turns and runs, mm-hmm. and he's got this yeah. like, huge, like, puff of hair that looked so like Michael Douglas's hair was more. Um, wasn't that poofy ever? <laughs> to me, to me, it was the voice because his uh-huh. voice, because of his throat cancer and the other stuff that he had, his yeah. voice. He's the older. He's got this sort of more bubbly kind of voice, and so you see the young. Or young, Did you, hear the you old? know, DH, but you hear the old in your brain right. goes, I, it doesn't like, I almost wish they would have taken, done voice synthesis or something from his old movies. I mean, he's done how many thousands yeah, of hundreds hard. of movies or whatever, but, um, that, but I mean, that was the only thing I was, cause as soon as I saw it, I was like, all right, cool. Cause like, you know, romancing the stone, like that's imprinted in my brain. I know what he looks yeah. like as a young, younger guy. And so it uh, agreed. It was just on the edge for me. Hey, um, what do we think of Captain Marvel, both the new sort of, you know, cool haircut Captain Marvel, um, but also her role in the script, because obviously there's this huge problem that everyone's like, well, why don't you just get Captain Marvel in? And, you know, it's all over Red Rover. Thanks for playing. What do we think of, of the, the new look and the CG version of her? And what do you think of her in the f- script? I mean, the look is cool. I, I think in the script, it's like, uh, you know, they they made a good effort to explain her absence, I yeah. guess, in that, you know, saying that there's all these other things going on that have it a lot worse off than Earth. And if it was, you know, all life everywhere, cut in half, like... It kind of makes sense, but, uh, you know, I I actually just saw that other movie, the Captain Marvel movie, today. I hadn't oh, seen wow. it yet. Oh, really? Um, so I, I'm trying to hesitate to talk about some things that we may talk about on a future show. Um, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it worked. Like, But it's, it's an interesting character in the universe in that, like, she's essentially, you know, a Superman, right? Like, yeah. or, you know, super, well, she's the power of an, and, of an infinity stone really. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, she's, she is, uh, seemingly like what's her Achilles heel, right? She seems, uh, so power, like almost overpowered in the sense of like, um, a character for that universe. And uh, it's interesting though. I mean, I think, you know, she, it's an interesting addition. I, I, I'd be curious to see if they develop the character further to introduce for her some kind of something that is a weakness, you know, that, that brings, uh, you know, uh, that it, it increases the dramatic tension uh, for her as a character. Yeah. Can I just do a quick shout out to some background characters that I was so happy with? I thought Nebula really like... Yeah. Um, Karen uh, Gillan in this like role has like I thought she had a lot more in this film than I was expecting and I think she really delivered um and I Agreed. think we sort of skip over it sometimes because she just doesn't look like her at all but man I thought she did a really good job um and, and I also Agreed. thought like Nebula obviously has visual effects enhancement right um so the other reason I wanted to mention it like 
you know, DD did a bunch of work on her and, uh, and did a really good job. But um, yeah, now I thought just phenomenally good um, in the role and happy to see her. I mean, obviously Korg we mentioned earlier, I was super happy to see Korg back, even if it was for <laughs> like not long enough. <laughs> um, but there were, there were a bunch of great smaller uh, characters that just popped up. I was going to say um, that totally isolated sequence on top of the building um, when uh, Tilda Swinson uh, as the ancient one oh, right. has that yeah. discussion. Mm-hmm. See, I thought that was a really nicely played out sequence. Um, and yeah, not, you know. I love, like, the, you know, I love the, the, the visual effects sort of texture of her just smacking Banner out of the Hulk. Yeah, I thought uh, that was like really yeah. nicely done. It reminds, did, did, did D-Neg do that? Who did that? I don't know. Because it reminds know. me, it reminds me of the not to uh, bring up the movie that shall not be named for Mike, but don't, don't the, it. Don't do it. <laughs> the visual effects from Scott Pilgrim with oh, that sort of oh, the, uh, the, the last the, movie that I watch out of. Yeah, the <laughs> the that sort of rainbowy. Um, it's similar to the also the effect of Ant Man when he shrinks and grows, that whatever they called it, the disco shrink or whatever the, it has that sort of um, hologrammy texture, but with like um, chromatic aberration on the edges of the thing. Like I just that's I love I love that look, and that sort of like echo when he gets blasted out of out of the Hulk was uh, it was it was like. Uh, I really, I really dug it. Yeah, and the scene I mean, itself was, I thought, was really good because you're. I thought you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought the um, the isolated sequence of um, Hawkeye in Japan as well was nicely done. Mm-hmm. It's a you know kind of very uh, dark. Blade Runner, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was 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 you know nicely done. Nicely, it was a really good beat for having to have somebody go to a really dark place and Black Widow's or rather. Scarlett Johansson's acting to his sort mm-hmm. of near satanic killings was pretty interesting as well. But wait, do we now not get a Black Widow movie? Because that would be lame. No, well, we, she, yeah, I think I there's possibly a like prequel a flashback Black Widow yeah. movie. Or? Yeah, I think that if I, even yeah. if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> we've seen casting on that with a younger actress also playing Black Widow. I could be wrong. Huh. Uh, but look, you know, the amount of uh, fake stuff that comes out over Marvel and what's coming out is uh, is nobody's business. Um, but yes, a lot of really good actors in those um, in those secondary roles. Um, you know, Aunt May, um, whoever. Like I just really enjoy seeing that depth of uh, casting. It's obviously terrific. They can get so many good actors in small roles because, you know, I thought- you get this really rich performances. I thought from a beat a story beat perspective, it was also great when Spider Man comes back and like him and Tony have sort of the father son moment mm. uh, was was pretty powerful and 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 I think probably was a better beat for to show Tony's relation to a child than him to the daughter in the flashback that you were talking about. Oh, good it's more tangible for the audience. I just sort yes, of yeah. thought about it when you were sort of a surrogate son, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he talks about it the whole, he, like he's like, yeah. when he comes back, he's like completely destroyed over losing Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and this, I, I mean, I'm, I love the homecoming and I think Tom Holland is, 
probably the best Spider-Man we've had yet. And uh, oh, aren't we so glad that um, so that trailer like doesn't that just have a bunch of just great Easter eggs in it? I mean, the fact oh, that yeah. Happy is in it makes me yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah. Not um, like John Favreau doesn't have other things to do. Yeah, being really. Insanely successful director, but the fact that he yeah. just wants to do that is just—I mean, you know. I can't imagine that you could throw enough money at an actor, as a director of his caliber, to get him to do it if he just doesn't want to, right? He's just, yeah. You know, but yes, I, I, yeah, Happy is one of the greatest characters in this universe for me. Um, we're kind of running out of time, so we just want to, um, just if I can, pick up on where we're going. I'm going to loop back for your final thoughts on this film, but before we do, I just want to flag for the audience: we're going to do um, Game of Thrones next as our next. Um, podcast because obviously that's uh, reaching its climax as we speak. The uh, equivalent, I guess, in the TV world of what this is in the film world. Uh, We're also going to come back at the time that Captain Marvel is released on uh, digital formats, rollout and DVD to do a Captain Marvel. We've also got a discussion going on amongst us as to whether or not we do uh, Dark Phoenix and uh, I don't know that we should, but maybe I'm not 100% convinced yet and Pikachu. But uh, we'll see how the things go. If you want to weigh in on whether we should be doing those, I'm looking forward Godzilla. to. Uh, yeah, that's okay. That's another one. I'm looking forward to Stranger Things. Those guys are looking forward to Godzilla. I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to John Wick. But I don't know. We get to mm-hmm. do that as a VFX show. But hey, whatever. Jury's out on a, on a couple of the other ones. Uh, but yeah, there's some terrific stuff uh, coming. Gemini Man is just something that I cannot begin to tell you how much I'm looking forward to. If you want to weigh in on what we should be doing now we're back, um, please just send us an email. You can either send me one directly as Mike S at Mike S as in for Seymour at fxguide.com or just uh, post on uh, the FX Guide site. Um, and in a second, I'm going to ask the guys to give their uh, final views on where the universe should go next. But before we do that, just to flag that if you want to follow the guys um, and find out what they're up to because they're having phenomenally interesting lives, Matt, where can people track you down uh you can always find me at mattwallen.com or at virginia commonwealth university in the school of the arts and if we want to follow one of the two diamond brothers where do we do that uh i'm just jason diamond on everything (laughs) (laughs) and uh and the diamond bros right and and yeah the diamond bros super sphere vr.com for mio so, so smorgasbord. Just to finish out the show, where do we think we're going to go next? Do you think that we should have another mega twenty-two type arc, or has that been done and can't be repeated, and that that they need to just? Oh have no, I think they're doing. Shows? I think they're doing another twenty-two movies, and I think they're going to end with Secret Wars. That would that would be my guess. I need, mm. I need Secret Wars. I need a silver surf, a proper silver surfer movie. Because remember. In the back half of this, they have all the Fox properties. They have all the X-Men, which they'll probably tie in towards the back end of this. They have um, Fantastic Four. Who knows what the Sony uh, Marvel Spider-Man sort of contingent will end up being. I believe this European vacation Spider-Man movie is the last of their current agreement. Um so let's hope that they Sony gets smart and goes, please, Marvel, just make us money and let's Marvel handle it. Um, but I personally need a Silver Surfer origin movie that ties into Galactus. And then I need to see Galactus standing on a planet in space. 
uh, as you do in the comics. Okay, Matt, we've got eight films coming out in the next two and a half years for Marvel. What are they going to do? Uh, whatever Jason just said. Okay, good. <laughs> I, uh, I think they need to, uh, to go small. I think they need to pull it back. I, I'm really worried that once you go mega huge, if you have to top, top mega huge, you go silly. So my major concern is to not try and outdo this film with another mega destruction sequence because at some point you run the risk of them just becoming boring and you get to, uh, to the Superman problem where no one's going to die. you human, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I found that, you know, whole destroying Earth and Superman just so absurd and so over the top and the fight you sequence you end on up with and all on this? and on. You end up with, yeah. with removing mustaches. That's where you end, end up. up. Removing mustaches, yes. <laughs> um, and I'd like to just finish this show by giving a heartfelt thank you to the artists involved in the 22 films uh, in yes. addition to the artists directly involved in this totally. film. Uh, just, you know, uh, you guys do such phenomenal work. We sometimes talk about the tech, but we would like to, you know, just reinforce the point that we totally understand that the tech is nothing without the artistry of the people doing it. I want to shout out to the people that do like the data collection on set, the people that do the roto, the, the rig removal, the, that go through and do the QC checking, like the, the thousands and thousands of artists that work on maybe the unsung kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the, the TAs, 100%. Like render yeah. wranglers. Assistant yeah. producers, the line producers, the people that are there at 3 o'clock in the morning trying to work out which version is shot to upload for CineSync to make sure that they can get the notes right. Um, you know, like there is so many people doing such hard work on these films. And uh, and it's the fact that they work, I mean, as in it works, that the whole film works. So, uh, yeah, shout out to you guys. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. We're back, um, as I say, so much looking forward to uh, hanging out with you guys. So uh, you'll see us in iTunes and we're all good podcasts as well. Until next time, I'm Mike Simmel. See you guys. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.